Good morning, Eastside family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and after we get through with the offering and worship, we'll let our children, ages 3 through 3rd grade, make their way back to junior worship. And if you're here for the first time and you have a child in that age range, just kind of watch the parents with kids go that way. I too would like to start out this morning by saying Karen and I have enjoyed our time here with the Eastside family, but we believe it's time for us to continue on. <laughs> like, what's happening there? <laughs> You're not standing. No, don't stand. I'm joking. joking. <laughs> They're just clearing out all the staff, aren't they? Acts chapter 2, did I say that? Verse 14, it says in the bulletin, verse 1, but let's start in verse 14. We're in a series of lessons entitled, Not So Mere Christianity. And we're, we're looking at the core foundation of our faith. Which on the one hand, you could, you could call it like C.S. Lewis does in his book, Mere Christianity. But when you really look into it, it's really not so mere at all. It, this, this message, this foundation of our faith, it, it's incredible. It's explosive in creating faith and transformational life change. And I'm stretching this out. I have two more lessons after this and into something like a seven or eight lesson series because... Our, our purpose is to inspire us and to equip us in our mission. Our mission of making disciples of all nations. Which means our mission of sharing Jesus with others to help lead them into a saving relationship with Him. We've spent three Sundays up to this point. We've looked at the events, the, the props I've called them that have set the stage for this incredible move of God's Spirit. And it is incredible. We see some 3,000 people made a decision to give their lives to Christ and to be baptized in Him. We first saw what I entitled Not So Mere Prayers. God's people were merely praying. Then in that place of prayer, the Holy Spirit empowered them and filled them in a magnificent way. And then we looked at not so mere meetings. It wasn't by mere coincidence, but it was God's providence that the disciples of Jesus were at the same place at the same time when thousands of people had gathered there in Jerusalem. Then last week we looked at not so mere words. In that place, his followers began to speak the wonders of God, the text tells us. The wonders of the story of Jesus, the gospel. Mere words, which aren't so mere at all. And so last week I, I mentioned to you that, well, one of the obstacles when we come to this point and it's time for us to speak and to share Jesus, that, that we hesitate. And I talked all about that last Last time in the, the title of Not So Mere Words. And, and I talked about one of, the, one of the obstacles or perhaps I could say one of the excuses we use or perhaps for some of us it's not an excuse, it's a reason that, that we hesitate to say anything is because we say, well, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know what, what to say. Well, here in the second half of chapter two, we discover what to say. In the second half of, 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 did I say Genesis? I meant to say Acts. In the second half, I've been in Genesis for so many months, that's what I'm thinking still in my head. In the second half of chapter 2, we're given what I would call a condensed version of the gospel story of Jesus. It was shared with some 
thousands and thousands of people and many of them came to Christ and therefore whatever was said here, whatever was taught, whatever was heard, this is, this is it. This is sufficient to, to hear and to know, to come to saving faith. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you don't have to understand and know everything, but this is the core. And I, in teaching someone about Christ, I don't necessarily have to be able to quote Hebrew and Greek from Old Testament, New Testament, but this is the foundation. This is what made the difference in multiple lives, and this is what we want to be equipped to teach. It's, a, it's an incredible outline that we have here of the story of Jesus. And so once God has brought someone into your life, once your paths have crossed, it's really not as difficult as you may think. You just open up your Bible and you begin to walk with them through this story. And you answer, help them answer. And if you don't have your Bible, you can just work through these three questions I want to give you to, to, to hold on to. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And what does it mean? And this, this question of answering, this question of who is Jesus, that is so important. I don't want to rush it. That's all we're going to talk about today. And it's important for two reasons. I want to share these with you before we, we get into our passage. A knowledge of Jesus Christ, first of all, knowing who he is, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental and foundational truth of one's salvation. You don't have to know everything and all the details in the Bible in order to be saved. But you must have a foundational knowledge of Jesus and the person of Christ. Scripture tells us that the identity and the person of Jesus Christ, this is non-negotiable. We don't compromise with what we understand and know about Jesus. We can disagree and we can be in unity with people about a lot of things. But this is something we, we stand on. This is what the Scripture tells us all throughout the New Testament, this is the litmus test that we use to determine is this person or is this teaching of God or not. I call this, I call this like the deal breaker in, in the field of politics. And I'm not going to go down that road, so don't worry too much about it. But in the field of t- politics, I, ha- I have a deal breaker. I don't really care if someone is independent or libertarian or a green party or... or, or um, Democrat or Republican, if they are right on 99 things but wrong on this one thing, to me they are completely wrong. They don't have my vote. It's a deal breaker. And I believe in the New Testament there is a deal breaker. And it is the identity of the person of Jesus Christ. A religious person can be right on 99 things, but if they're wrong on the foundational truth of who Christ is, they are completely wrong. It's huge. There's so much to say about that in the New Testament. But this trendy thought that there are many paths to God, that there are many faiths, and you have your faith, I have my faith. You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. You believe this in Jesus, I believe that in Jesus. That sounds so loving, so tolerant, and so unifying, but it can be so incredibly dangerous and deceptive. Jesus tells us, no one comes to the Father except through me. Through Christ. In Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. His name represents who he is. That's his identity. That's huge. So knowing Christ and sharing a knowledge of Jesus, this is foundational. 
It's a fundamental and foundational truth of our salvation. And secondly, this is important before we get into the text. A knowledge of Jesus is essential in becoming and being a disciple of Jesus. I would say that, that if there's one verse that finally it clicked and my life changed because of it, it's this one. John seventeen three. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that word know is in the relational sense of knowing someone in a very personal way. When we share the gospel with someone, we're not inviting them into a religion. We're inviting, inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our goal isn't simply to, to convince someone of a calculated set of facts to get them to be baptized. That's not what we're at here. And that was the... That was the, the, perhaps you might say, the mistake in our church history in the past that we skipped all of this first section of Acts chapter 2 and the telling us of the, the knowledge of who Jesus is. We rushed our way to verse 38 to get people baptized. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like a couple of people coming up to me today at the end of church and saying, Eddie, you know, during meet and greet, I just met her she, and we just met one another. We would like to know if you'd marry us right now. Well, uh, no. <laughs> I, I've actually had something similar to that happen. But you, I'm not doing that. Marriage is a huge commitment for life. And therefore, if I'm going to make such a vow to, to live the rest of my life with this individual, don't you think I need to first stop and, and get to know who they are? And if I wouldn't do this in marriage, why would I do it in my faith with Jesus Christ? It's an even greater decision than marriage, and marriage is huge. It's a decision that I'm going to give my life fully to Him. It's a decision that I'm going to follow Him and His teachings to the point I'm willing to die. Well, how can I follow someone that I don't know? And so this is so incredibly important that we first must know, and we must share with others a knowledge of who Jesus is before they make their vow to him in baptism and one of the things I would encourage you to do whenever I'm sharing Christ with someone and studying the Bible with them I encourage them on their own when you're by yourself read through what I call the biographies of Jesus Matthew Mark Luke and John they tell the story of Jesus do that on your own and as you do that you'll come to know who Christ is and as you come to know who Christ is you'll You'll develop a knowledge of him and you'll fall in love with him. That's huge. And so what we're looking at today, this is like foundational. And so long before the apostle Peter tells people, well, this is what you need to do. He says, let me tell you who Jesus is. And he lays down what we're going to look at today, three foundational truths of the identity and the person of Jesus Christ. And so let's, let's, enter into this message, the first part of it, and let the Holy Spirit, through these words, tell us and speak to us and answer the question, who is Jesus? Chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great 
before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. There's three things. There's a ton of things that he says here. I'm going to draw your attention only to three of them. His credibility, his humanity, and his deity. Let's start, first of all, with the credibility of Jesus. In establishing what I call the credibility of Jesus, which is the the truthfulness and the certainty of the claim that this man, Jesus, is the Christ, the Messiah, the the Son of God, the first thing the Holy Spirit does through the Apostle Peter as he's he's sharing this message is is he, he gives a prophecy from the Old Testament prophet. We've talked about this twice already. From the prophet Joel, who was speaking of this moment, who was speaking of the coming of the Messiah, and it was written some seven or eight hundred years earlier. You keep on reading, as we'll see next week. Peter's going to do this again. He's going to reach back into the book of Psalms, and he's going to give two more prophecies telling us about the coming of the Messiah. You read the four stories of Jesus, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four of them, they start in the exact same way. The first thing, the first thing they want us to know is they take us back in the Old Testament that this man, Jesus, and his story is rooted in the Old Testament history. It's rooted in Old Testament prophecy. Even before the time of the creation of the world. There are over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, many of which were quote, are quoted, we see in the New Testament, as Peter does here. And, and they're telling us, they were predicting hundreds of years before, this is when he's going to come. This is where he's going to be born. This is, this is, these are the parents to whom he's going to be born. These are the people to whom he's going to come. This is how he's going to live his life. This is how he's going to die. This is how he's going to be buried. This is how he's going to rise from the dead. All of these details were prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. And when we look then at the person of Jesus Christ in the time of the Roman Empire, every single one of these predictions were fulfilled in him in accuracy long before he came. That's huge. And you look at the, you look at the history, and we did this in Ancestry.God when we looked through the, the story of, of, of Genesis. As you look through the history of the Old Testament, and you understand it's not just some random history that people made up, it's substantiated constantly by archaeology and by extra-biblical historical literature. As you look at all the history, it was all pointing in one direction to this person of Jesus of Nazareth, born in the time of the Roman Empire. So, in Israel, why is it that the Holy Spirit makes sure in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and here in Acts, before we go anywhere else, you need to understand this. And I believe it's because it establishes the credibility of the claims that this man is the one who was prophesied. He was, he was the one through whom all history was pointing. He indeed is the Son of God. The first thing Peter wants his listeners to understand that he wasn't just some man who came up, knocked on the door of people's lives and said, I'm Son of God, follow me. And everybody just took off and followed him. But he is the one to whom all prophecy in history was pointing. Therefore, when I place my faith in him, I can do so with confidence, knowing he truly is the Messiah. And so 
Peter lays down this first foundational truth, the credibility of Jesus. Secondly, the humanity of Jesus. Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man. So you read through the biographical accounts of the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's clear that this is not some spiritual figure floating around. But the humanity of Jesus tells us he was human. He was a person who had experiences like we do. It says here, he lived in Nazareth. That's not some abode of God's in some faraway place. That's not some cloud on which he was drifting on. That's a place on the map that we could go and visit today. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read, he had parents. We do. He got tired like we get tired. He got hungry like we get hungry. He had a friend of his die, and guess what he did? He went. When his arms were cut, when his wrist was cut, he bled. He had a human experiences like we did because he was human. Do you know that outside of the Bible, there are historical books written in the time of the Roman Empire of the first century that tell us about a man named Jesus Christ who lived in Palestine. We actually have more historical literature about Jesus Christ than we do Julius Caesar. And no one doubts the historical reality of Julius Caesar. Peter wants us to understand the humanity of Jesus. Why? Well, why is that so important? First of all, it shows us two things, and I think this is important to cover. The humanity of Jesus shows us his historicity. And that's my five-syllable word to impress you with today. It shows his historicity, meaning he truly was a historical figure who lived on the earth. Listen, this story about Jesus, it's not a legend. This is not a myth. This is not a fairy tale. This is not as a heresy that was being spread in the first century that he was this spiritual ghost-like figure. This man to whom all history and prophecy was pointing towards was really a man who lived on the earth. We know that with 100% certainty. Therefore, when I step into faith, I can do that with confidence. His humanity shows his historicity, but it also shows his sympathy. It shows us his sympathy. Read it. We don't have time to go there too much today, but go to chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. And I have a quote here for you. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. You have flesh and blood. He had flesh and blood. He was made to be like his brothers in every way. In every way that you are human, he was fully human. Why is that so important? He says, it goes on in chapter 4 of the same book of Hebrews, because he was human, because he was a man who really lived, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, for he was tempted in every way, just as we are. How are you being tempted? He's been tempted in that way as well. Therefore, we can approach him with confidence knowing that he can help us in our time of need. The point being, because of his humanity, when you turn to him in prayer and you say, I've got this going on in my life. I'm struggling with this. I'm feeling these feelings. I'm feeling these temptations. It's not like he's this God in some faraway place, in some faraway palace, in a faraway place called heaven. But he is a God who experienced what you're experiencing. He gets it. He can sympathize because he's been where we are. 
his humanity, shows his historicity, shows his sympathy. We see the credibility of Jesus. We see the humanity of Jesus. And then the third thing that Peter wants us to understand is the deity of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God who became man. Not a God, not a prophet, not someone who was born and then became a God. He is the eternal God who, who became man. Chapter 2 and verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, but there was something about him that was different than anyone else. It goes on to say, he was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So Peter here, he speaks of these miracles of Jesus that were performed while he was on the earth. As a matter of fact, I think it's interesting. They were a matter of fact. He says, you know this. This is something that you know. This is, this is undeniable. Stories of Jesus, as the New Testament opens up in Matthew, Mark, John, you say, okay, he certainly was a man, but then you're following the story and say, there's something about him that's different than any other man. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He calmed the storms on the sea. He walked on water. He fed the multitude. He, he, and then the greatest miracle of all was his resurrection from the dead. He was more than a man, but God became man. It's Christ. God became man. Huge. Foundation pillar of our faith. Is that so important? You say, well, that's a stupid question, perhaps. But I can't assume we understand this. The John writer, John, who in his biography gives an, an eyewitness account of Jesus. He says, all these miracles, he says, so many, I only can a few of them in my writing. He says, these miracles, they're like signs. They're all pointing to one thing. And that one thing, that he is more than a man. He is God who became man. But it's more than that. Because he's God who became man, as you place your life and your faith and your belief in him, you may have life his name that means because he is god who became man it's not just that he gets it that he understands what you're going through that he sympathizes with what you're feeling because he was there but he can help I turn to him in my life and with my prayers god who can help me help me the god who wants to give me wisdom in my life and most of all save me for the eventual consequences of my sin, which is death, like new life in his name. That's who Jesus is. That's the foundation of our faith. Next week, we're going to he did. I went out visiting missionary, Nathan, Nathan, raise your hand. Here with us. He, he's leading us in a six-week series entitled Helping Hurts. And he just started this past Wednesday night and did a phenomenal job. And I'm not just saying that because I want to make him feel really special. He did a fantastic job. I'm looking forward. You've set a, a high bar for yourself, Nathan. And, and in this class, we are... Oh, oh, speaking of Nathan, Nathan is here at least for five more weeks. Emolio and, and little Phoebe and Honor are coming also Hopefully, as soon as she can get her naturalization stuff worked out in Washington, they're here to be with you. And so if you'd like to spend time 
taking them out to eat. Call me and I'll go with you. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I just do what I got to do, you know. Um, invite him over. Pray with him. When we have our prayer time, somebody go up and pray with him today. Um, let's encourage. I can't tell you. I remember when I came back from the mission field what it meant to have people. You know, we were, we were in Baton Rouge for 30 days. We had like 56 dinner engagements in Louisiana with Cajun food. We gained a lot of weight, but we loved every minute of it. So, so connect with him. And, and, and his agents are Eric and Gina Poole. So if you want to set up the calendar schedule, talk to them or talk to Nathan. And so back to Nathan's class. This, this one, Helping Hurts, is a fantastic... I've read the book, and he's kind of working through a book using scripture. We want to help. It's, it's about poverty, helping people in our community who are poor, helping people in our world who are struggling, and who... Um, how, how, do we, how do we as Christians... How do we do that? We have to do that. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. But I loved what Nathan shared with us in, in the first class. That he said the problem with the poor in our community, it's not that they, they don't have enough food, they don't have enough money, they don't have enough clothes, and they, they just don't have a decent place to live. And so the answer is give them food, money, and clothes, and everybody's happy. No, that doesn't solve their problem. Nathan told us, and I agree, at the root of their problems are broken relationships and ultimately broken, a broken relationship with God. That's at the root of it. That's what has got to be mended to address poverty. And that's not just about poverty. I believe that is at the root of all of the world's problems we see. And do we see them? We see immorality pornography here, there, corruption, we're drowning in addictions, some of us here. There's confusion in our culture over gender. There's confusion and debate over same-sex marriage. That's a debate and struggle that we're having. There's wars and conflicts and rumors of wars that we read out in Scripture all over the place. There's racial tension and division and hatred. There's turmoil at our borders and arguing in Washington. What do we do about this immigration stuff? There's a painful controversy over abortion. There's a, a, a lifestyle. It's like the American way, a lifestyle of deepening debt and foreclosures and bankruptcy. The painful stories in this city, in this county of children being abused in every way. There's marriages that are broken or in trouble. And all of these painful revelations, they're just like every week. And all the confusion associated with what we now call the Me Too movement. And it's, 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 it's almost like, it feels like it's almost every week that we live in a county that ranks at the top of, of teenage suicide in our, in our nation. And the list goes on. Church, we can't be silent. We can't. We must stand up. We must speak out. We must reach out. And at the root of all of the problems we see, how do we respond? We have 
the good news of Jesus. That's what makes the difference. That's how we respond with our words and our deeds. For there is a brokenness, as Nathan was telling us Wednesday night, that deeper into the brokenness of a relationship with God and Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He heals that brokenness. And I know that theologically from Scripture. I know that in my experience of working with people for many years and I know that from my personal story. When I was in the, and I've shared with you a lot about my story, when I was in the darkest the deepest and most broken place in my life, I will never forget someone sharing with me the words I shared with you earlier in John 17. This is eternal life. And I expected them to say, it's right here, Eddie. Read it. Do what it says. You might make it. That's eternal life. But that's not what it said or says. This is eternal life. They, they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That moment, it's like, it's like a light came on. And I was introduced not to a religion, but to a, a, a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And I began to learn the answer to the question as I worked through Scripture, who is Jesus? In doing so, it, 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 it changed my life. And it changed my behavior and as I continue searching the answer to the question, who is Jesus, it continues to change my life. Who is Jesus? He is the fulfillment of all that God has purposed, planned, and prophesied from before the creation of the world. He is God who became man and lived among us and died for us that he might repair and restore our broken relationship with God that he might repair our broken lives. Oh, may we know him. May we know him. And may, may we grow in that knowledge. And may it overflow through us that the world may know him. And may we turn to him with our lives and turn to him in prayer because he gets it. He understands and he heals, and he helps. And so in this moment now, we're going to enter into a time of prayer, and I'm going to ask our shepherds to be available to, to pray with you, but we have more people than we do shepherds, and so if you know of someone this morning that's hurting, that needs a hug, that needs your prayers, you go up to them, and if you are that person has that need, grab someone. And, and um, Did Norman leave? Oh, there's Linda. Okay. I don't see Norman. So I, I just want to have two special prayers. I, I'm gonna, I, I got Ted sitting over here as one of our shepherds, and I got Alan sitting over here. I just, uh, Norman Keller is, 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 is very ill and is, is hurting, and I want us to pray for Norman. I don't see him, but I see Linda, so let's just go back there. I want to ask you guys to huddle up around them. Um, Tom and Betty are not here. But I just feel like it'd be good for us to group up. And so I'm going to ask Ted to go pray with Norman and Linda and anybody else to join them. And behind 
in front of Linda is Matt and Teresa. Would you guys stand in prayer for, for Tom and Betty? They're just dearest friends of Tom and Betty. So, Alan, if, if you'll take a group, let's surround them in prayer. And, and um, oh, I'm just getting started. with There's so many needs here, okay? Just getting started. And so, I want, there's Norman. Uh, I want to encourage you to reach out to somebody. And listen, if you don't know this man, Jesus, that I just spoke to you about, let one of us know so that we can take you on that journey of knowing him. Let's stand and enter into prayer. Lord God, we, we fervently cry out to you in prayer as you, by your providence, have brought us together for this day. And we ask and we pray that in this moment, you're, you would blow through this place a fresh wind and a fresh fire of your spirit. Ignite that fire in us and that we may carry it to the world. We come to you now in prayer.